Hello and welcome back to another episode of Microsoft Azure for AWS Cloud Professionals. My name is Keith Mayer. I'm one of your hosts today. I'm a Principal Technical Architect at Microsoft, uh, working with the Microsoft Azure platform. And I have back with me again our favorite co-host, Gerald Hugh. Hey, Gerald, how are you doing today? Good, hey, Keith. Doing well. Great, great. Hey, uh, thanks for joining again. Uh, looking forward to another episode with you. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And uh, so, Gerald, over the last few episodes, we've kind of stepped through the process of looking at some of the differences as organizations start planning for leveraging the Azure platform for either migrating or building new workloads. And we looked at some comparisons in episode one of terminology and some architecture at a high level between uh, Amazon AWS cloud platform and Microsoft Azure cloud platform. And then episode two and three, we started building out our networking architecture and storage architecture. What, 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 uh, what should we do next? Where do you think we're at? I think it's time for us to get into the VMs, the heart and ah, compute. soul of it all. Yep. The compute layer, yeah, definitely. Okay, well, uh, yeah, let, let's talk about that in a bit more detail because we have several options um, with Azure that we can explore, certainly virtual machines, and then we've got some new options around VM scale sets and uh, container support as well. Yeah, and so when we were originally comparing architectures between uh, AWS and Azure for application uh, deployments or migrating applications, back in episode one, we, we looked at this this diagram to help us um, sock it in on, on some of the key differences. And today, since we'll be focusing on the compute layer, um, right in this diagram, we actually call out a couple of the options that are available within Azure for 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 compute resources. We've got uh, virtual machines and virtual machine scale sets. Um, the scale sets you'll see listed up towards that top subnet, um, ideal for sort of a stateless web tier that may need to scale or auto scale based on utilization to scale out or scale into a larger or smaller number of instances. And then we have traditional virtual machines behind that in the subnet, uh, the second subnet in an availability set so that they're placed in separate uh, fault domains and update domains for a high availability and, and maintenance standpoint. And uh, that could be for our data or app tier where we may have some stateful information, some persistent data or whatnot that uh, we need to manage. Um, and this really brings out sort of a continuum of of compute opportunities with Azure, right, Gerald? It's, you know, virtual machines are certainly at one end of the spectrum. We can deploy IaaS-based virtual machines on Azure like many other cloud platforms and have full portability of the workloads running inside those virtual machines. But then as we creep over in our chart towards the right, what we're gaining are more platform features for being able to manage these compute workloads in a, a more systematic manner, uh, to manage them more as a group or a cattle of resources rather than as individual VM by VM pets in our, in our herd, right? And so beyond just virtual machines, we've got the ability to leverage VM extensions that can inject into a base virtual machine image additional configuration details like custom scripts or uh, configurations from Chef or from Puppet or other third-party tools or deployments uh, through Jenkins or Octopus Deploy or whatnot. Um, and then we also have an extension of kind of the VM mindset of around VM scale sets of being able to create a set of VMs 
from a common base image that we can either manually or dynamically scale out and scale in on the fly. And then kind of on the far right, we've got our platform as a service offerings for being able to go even further in managing these workloads in terms of containers, for instance, for containerized workloads that really separate the workload from the underlying VM that the workload is running on, or Service Fabric, our, our own kind of clustered microservice architecture that uh, runs really well on Azure, or Cloud Foundry, which is sort of an open source alternative to a PaaS-based microservices architecture, which can certainly run, run on Azure as well. Are, are these the general options that, that you see, Gerald, and, and how do you help customers that you're working with choose between these various options? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I always try to focus on is see what the customer is most familiar with. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of times when I talk to customers, um, it ra ranges uh, widely if they even know much about DevOps, if they know Chef and Puppet and Jenkins, and they know all those tools, or if they're really more traditional in the, like, we're going to bring up a machine and we're going to, you know, like, provision it and do these, like, five steps and they have that. So it really depends on where the customer is in their life cycle and what their understanding is of where we end up in this continuum, like you said. So the more familiar they are with a lot of these platform services, the more to the right we're going, and the less familiar they are and the more they're, you know, based around that, like, build it out piece by piece and have that understanding, we start them in the IS section and try to move mm -hmm. them towards the PaaS section. Because what really happens is when you move towards that PaaS section, you end up spending a lot less time doing the deployments. You end up spending a lot more time focusing on the software and the tools that make your um, your thing more you, right? Like more mm -hmm. like the software more custom to you. So that's really what we try to get our customers to focus on. So as you move towards PaaS, being able to focus more on this, the features of the solution that your team is building and delivering to cust internal or external customers rather than focusing a lot of time on deploying the solution, right? Exactly. So you, yeah, you're trying to automate that. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Well, well, let's start kind of on the, the, the left side then, and then we'll progress over towards the right as we talk about these different options. So with just base virtual machines, a lot like on AWS, there's you know different types of virtual machines that Azure has as well. Uh, different instance VM instance size classes. So we've got, uh, as you're looking at Azure, there's certainly the, the A-series class that's uh, kind of a low price point VM series with uh, some basic and standard sizes. So you can choose if you want to do load balancing or not do load balancing. They're really intended for kind of general purpose utility workloads. Um, oftentimes I see people using these for um, uh, DNS servers or service uh, discovery or basic utility type features, right? Yeah. And yeah. and one of one of the interesting pieces though in the A family is that some of the higher performance end of the A family, the A8 and A9 size, they actually have some pretty fast networking, don't they? Yeah. So those the RDMA technology that we have in the A8 and the A9 series uses our InfiniBand, um, huh. you know, backend, which is really unique to us. Uh, and that's really used a lot in the MPI workloads that we see. Mm. And so there's something high, that... Uh, High-performance computing, is that where you see that used a lot? Yep, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Okay, great. Well, that's an, that's an interesting um, 
use case because, you know, with HPC, oftentimes you have kind of that elastic need as you're, you know, kind of scaling out to do some type of distributed calculations in parallel. And then once that's done, scaling back in to save on cost because HPC clusters are incredibly expensive in the on-prem world based on the amount of time that they're actively being used for computing oftentimes, right? Exactly. And like we mentioned before, like our big differentiator is like, you know, being priced on a per minute workload rather than a hourly workload really mm-hmm. makes those HPC workloads work well, because a lot of times you are just scaling up really fast and then scaling back down when you complete the task. And those tasks don't fall in our buckets. They fall in whatever they feel like. falling. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And then beyond the A-series, there's a D-family, and we actually just released a version 2 of the D-family as well. Um, have faster processors, more memory, local SSD storage, so if you have workloads that do large amounts of uh, temporary you know, files or staging or things of that nature, where you need fast access to disk, but not necessarily persistent storage of that data. Um, D-Family is a great great solution for that local uh, uh, SSD-based instant storage with more memory and faster processors. And then we have our larger family, the G-Family, that's uh, optimized for very large high memory type workloads. So large numbers of cores, uh, up to a half terabyte of, uh, of virtual RAM, up to six and a half terabytes of local SSD storage, the fastest processors across all of our series. Um, and then for the D and G series, we also have options for instances that can have persistent SSD disks attached to them. So back in our storage episode, uh, back in our, our last episode actually, we were talking about premium storage being our persistent SSD storage. And so that premium storage can attach to DS series VMs or GS series VMs. And so really the the DS and GS are very similar to the D and G series VMs in terms of memory and compute configuration, but the big differentiator is their storage architecture has been hard has been wired into supporting very low latency access to premium storage for persistent disks. So as you're Working with customers, Gerald, and you know we've got all these different choices. Um, you know, how do you how do you help customers think about which VM sizes they should be using for different pieces of their application? A lot of the times, what I do is I try to work with them um, and see what they're currently using, right, and see uh, how much memory, how much CPU they currently use on their current VMs and other solutions. And if they don't have something, and we're building out something new, I try to start with um, probably the you know, we, we always try to start small and grow up like bigger because it's really easy for us to deploy larger and whatever machines because we have the, the, the code to do so, right? Mm-hmm. So if you start small and you can easily scale up to a larger series as your needs expand, you're always going to make sure that you're spending the right amount of money. You're not overspending or overbuying processing or um, other things that you really don't need. And so a lot of times if you look at the way we've priced um our machines, you can see that we have either ones that focus on compute, if you have a very compute-intensive workload, or you have ones that focus on memory, if you have a very memory-intensive workload. We're never trying to really just, like, force you into using the same series. We we really try to figure out, like, what fits best for you. Okay. And I will yeah. also mention that uh, a common misconception 
amongst the other cloud users that come to us is they assume that the G series is our GPU series. And yeah. that's definitely not the case. Um, and that is something I'm pretty sure you're going to be talking about uh, in the next coming slides real quick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the GPU series is on the uh, on the horizon as well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, um, so you know, as I mentioned, uh, when we're thinking about uh, other competing cloud vendors like Amazon AWS, for instance, they also have instance sizes, types of different types of instance sizes or classes of instance sizes for VMs as well. And so, one of the useful um, reference charts that we've pulled together is really. Um, Looking at you know how if, if you have a customer or a, or a deployment of your own that's currently on a, Amazon AWS, how do you think about mapping those instance sizes across to Azure as you're thinking about migrating those solutions? And so it's a great chart to think about you know the the burstable kind of low end T2 VM instance sizes on AWS being you know those are you know roughly equivalent to like a small A0 through A2 VM size on the Azure side. And then we get into some of those workhorse VMs like the M3, M4 series or C3, C4 series. You know, those are the, the larger A series or the D series VMs. Um, you start getting into more of the storage optimized VMs uh, that have denser storage configurations. That's where we start mapping into the, the G series VMs. And then for the GPU uh, series, um, which in AWS is the G2 series. Um, coming soon, we've got N-series VMs that uh, that will be available for supporting uh, local GPU access as well. And so we have more details about that in in, in the coming weeks as well. Uh, is that does that makes you think that that'll be a helpful resource, Gerald, as as people are looking at AWS versus Azure and trying to figure out how to migrate existing applications well? Definitely, and I think uh, you know we mentioned this in the very first episode. And uh, one of the things that we should always like try to reinforce is that the big difference between us and other cloud providers is that we provide physical cores over hyperscale cores. And so when you are doing that one-to-one -one comparison, a lot of people look at it and say like, oh, your four core, you know, 56 gig machine does not match up with the price of Amazon's four core 56 gig machine. Because really when you're looking at an Azure core, you should be really looking at um, a two-core 56 machine when you're comparing to an AWS or a Google or um, someone else that, you know, is usually doing the hyper-threaded cores, and that confuses a lot of our customers. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. No, it's, uh, that's a really good point. The other piece that I get a lot of questions around is in terms of as VMs are being deployed, how to think about availability. And that's quite a bit different as well because in other cloud platforms like, like Amazon, for instance, there's the concept of regions being subdivided into availability zones and then you really have to kind of put a lot of thought into architecting your VPC design, your subnets, your your virtual networking design to make sure that okay these subnets will be in this AZ and these subnets will be in this AZ and I'll when I deploy my VMs I'll deploy them between those various subnets so that I have some VMs that I'm load balancing across in one availability zone and others in another availability zone. And Azure certainly has the capability of high availability deployments of VMs, but we work a bit differently, right? We use availability sets instead of availability zones. And the idea is that we use the availability set as essentially a tag that uh, represents uh, kind of a, an anti-affinity of VMs to push them into separate update and fault domains so that from a uh, unexpected failure of a hardware standpoint or plan maintenance standpoint, 
I've got two VMs that are in availability set, the Azure Fabric automatically puts them in separate fault and update domains so that a single hardware failure or planned updates to the underlying host don't take down all the VMs in that availability set. And that's what our SLA is based around for uh, deploying VMs. If you want highly available VMs, you deploy them in pairs, two or more, as part of a common availability set per application tier, and let Azure figure out how to place them in the fabric for achieving that, uh, that SLA versus having to hardwire it into your architecture like you have to do in some other cloud platforms. Do you, do you see that similarly, Gerald? Oh, yeah, exactly. And so the way that I have always positioned it to folks that I talk to is that it's just less work for you when you're doing yeah. it in Azure. You just really set up the availability set, and you don't have to worry about, in, for the example of AWS, like AZs, or even in like AWS when you're looking at AZs, you might not have access to certain AZs in your account that another account has access to, and things get really confusing really fast there. We handle all of that for you, and really we that's how we gave you that SLA, like you said. And it's just it's so much easier in Azure to do um, these like high availability uh, like uh, VM machines. Yeah, particularly as you're scaling out, right? A deploy, an initial deployment where you may need over time to scale out and add additional VMs. You just plug them into that existing availability set and let the Azure Fabric spread them out across update and fault domains versus having to go back and think about, you know, potentially re-architecting your, your VPC design with more subnets and different availability zones. Exactly. And yeah, so it can be a, a very beneficial approach to, to high availability. So we've, uh, we've talked a lot about deploying VMs in Azure and looked at the different VM types and whatnot. Let's talk a little bit about the anatomy of what we're going to deploy. So as we talked about in prior episodes, when we deploy any resources in Azure using Azure Resource Manager, we, we deploy them inside of a logical group called a resource group. And then inside that resource group, if we have any public IPs that we wish to assign to these VMs that we're deploying, we create those public IPs as separate resources. We, in, previous, in our previous episode, in episode two, we already created our VNet and our subnet structure. Uh, in episode three, we already created our storage. And then when we start deploying our VMs, what we're essentially doing is we're deploying a NIC, at least one, for each VM. And we attach that NIC to uh, an internal IP address on a particular subnet. And we can also optionally assign a public IP address to it. If, if we wish to have that VM publicly accessible. And then we attach the VM to the NIC. So we've got essentially a handful of resources. We've got the virtual machine, network interface, and then we've got the storage account that the virtual machine's disks are sitting inside, public IP address optionally, and the virtual network and, and subnet. So a lot of different components, but I think if we kind of shoot over to the portal, we'll see that all of this kind of comes together from a portal standpoint and a templating standpoint so that it's pretty easy to, to, to provision and set up. Um, what do you say, Jerry? Does it make, Gerald, does it make sense to uh, head over to the portal and, yeah. and take a look at setting this up together? Sounds good. Okay, well, I'll see you over in the lab. Okay, so Gerald, uh, we're over in our lab in the, on the Azure portal. And um, you know, earlier, we had, uh, in our episodes, we had created out a resource group that had a virtual network and subnet and storage account in there. And so now we're basically going to add our first vir virtual machine into that existing resource group and on that virtual network. So I'm just going to click on our new button over on the left bar and select virtual machines. And you'll see in the virtual machines featured app list a variety of standard 
images, right, that uh, are available for provisioning virtual machines. But if we um, click on See All, that'll drop us over into the marketplace where we have a much more extensive set of of uh, pre-built images that um, that we can leverage. And so, you know, we support, as we talked about a little earlier, we support most of the, uh, all of the common Linux distros from Ubuntu to SUSE to Oracle Linux, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and, uh, and uh, CentOS and whatnot. So I'm just going to do a quick search here, and we'll look for, oops, got to spell right, Ubuntu. And we'll pick one of our Ubuntu images right out of our gallery, and that'll take us over to our create screen. So I'll go ahead and say create. I want to create a new virtual machine, and I just have to fill out some basic settings. And so I'm going to plug in a uh, name for my new virtual machine. So let's uh, call this Contoso uh, VM01. And we'll need a, a username that will log in as a sort of a root equivalent user into this VM. And for authentication, we can either use a password-based authentication or uh, an SSH uh, public key that we can paste in for authentication. So just to make things easy, I'll, I'll just key in a, a password here. Um, select our subscription, select the resource group. So we'll select the one that we had previously set up in our other episodes. So I'll select Contoso RG as our resource group. Dun, dun, dun. There we go. And that's going to automatically bring in a default location of the location that the resource group was created in for our Azure region. So I'll go ahead and click OK. And then it'll ask me to choose one of the VM sizes that we were looking at a little earlier. And so it's going to recommend for each image some initial sizes that, uh, that are popular for that image. But if we click View All, we'll see all of the available sizes that we can then select through. So you'll see our D-series, our DS-series, our um, A-series VMs, our G-series VMs, and whatnot. And so I'll select a particular size. I'll just select a D1. Click on Select. And then... One quick we, tip for um, all yeah, those sure. out there uh, is, you know, our default uh, core limit for every um, user is 20. So it's a very soft limit. And uh, one thing is, if you already know the VMs that you're going to be using, if you know the sizes, it's a uh, it's really easy for you to go into the portal and just uh, request for a higher limit uh, right off the bat. Yep. And so, like you're showing right now, yeah, that new support ticket, you can go in there, just ask for a higher core limit, and a lot of times it it stops people uh, when they are just trying to get up quickly. So one of the things I say is like when you create your Azure account, if you already know that you're going to be using more than those cores, just create the support ticket and just say, you know, this is what we're going to look at using, and it'll get you there faster. Yep, definitely, definitely. So um, over on our settings page, we'll have the option of selecting the type of storage. I selected a normal D-series VM, so you'll see it selected standard storage for me. If I had selected a DS or GS series, it would have defaulted to premium storage, and I'd have an option of using either premium or standard storage. Um, storage account that we set up a little earlier in our episodes, our virtual network, and then we can pick which subnet we wish to have this virtual machine on. So I'll just go ahead and click subnet. It automatically selects the first subnet. Uh, we'll say that this is going to be a, a web VM, so I'll put it in our Contoso web subnet. If we wish to have a public IP address assigned to this VM directly, we can click on public IP address and 
either have a dynamic assignment or create a reserved IP address that is an IP address that isn't going to change when a VM goes through a provisioning cycle. It's basically a fixed IP address value that we can assign to this VM or at a later point in time we could move to a different VM if we wanted to move that VM over. So I'll just leave it as a dynamic, v, uh, dynamic public IP address. Uh, we can also customize a network security group. Remember we talked about network security groups in our networking episode. And so at the time that we're building our VM, we can set up a network security group that allows just the level of inbound traffic from the public internet that, uh, that we wish, and also optionally limits outbound traffic. And you'll see by default, since this is a Linux-based image, it does set up an initial rule for us to allow SSH access in so that we can administer the VM. Uh, but we could certainly turn that off if we were going to that VM over a, perhaps a, an IPsec site-to-site -site connection uh, through one of our VNet gateways. Um, in my case, I'll, I'll go ahead and leave that on. But you can see the, the, the create experience for building a new VM brings together a lot of the, the various objects we were looking at, at that, on that slide just a few moments ago. It allows us to create not only the VM, but it allows us to select the VNet, select the subnet, select the storage account select the public IP address or create a new public IP address, select or create or customize a network security group. And then for the uh, extensions that we mentioned a little earlier, we have the ability to go into our extensions tab and add in extensions that we'd like to have part of our virtual machine as we're provisioning it. So if we had a custom script or if we were using tools like Chef for configuration management or Docker or for container management or whatnot, we have the ability to bring those in right at provisioning time to inject additional custom settings into our VM. Uh, we do have the ability to enable diagnostics monitoring as well to collect key statistics on resource utilization from that VM that we can view over time historically or set up alerts on. And if we were going to be provisioning multiple VMs in a highly available set, an availability set, we can also create or select an availability set that we wish to have this VM part of. So I'll just create a new availability set. This is our first VM in this availability set, but we'll set it up so that additional web VMs that we're adding in, we can um, uh, just add into this existing availability set. We can even customize how many VMs domains spread across how many fault domains, domains we wish to have the VMs and across. Uh, so if we want to create a very large number of VMs, we wanted to spread them out across more update domains, for instance, we could certainly do that. And you'll see here by default, it's going to use five update domains and three fault domains to make sure that we're protected from uh, unplanned failures uh, or preventative maintenance, planned maintenance uh, type of approaches as well. So I'll go ahead and click OK. We've got our availability set. Click OK once more. It's going to run through a validation for us. And... Once the validation completes, we can click OK to begin the provisioning process. And that provisioning is going to take a few minutes. So while it's going through that provisioning process, let's, um, let's switch over to the CLI and see how we can do some of this stuff from the command line interface as well. So Gerald, we've spent a fair amount of time going through the Azure portal for looking at the basics of provisioning VMs. Let's switch over to the command line interface and just like in our prior episodes where we configured storage and networking resources, why don't we step through the basics of, of building VMs from a CLI perspective. Does that, does that make sense as a next step, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Sounds good. Okay, great.
And very similar to when we were working through storage and networking with the um, Azure command line tool. Um, you'll see I'm currently logged in. And just like we, uh, we did a little earlier, we can go into our Azure account and make sure we're using the correct subscription, which I'm not. If I, if I needed to switch to a different subscription, I could simply enter Azure account set followed by the subscription name. I'm all set in this case. And then for working with virtual machines, uh, we can use Azure followed by the VM keyword. And just like the other commands, if we wanted to get some help on Azure VMs, we can use the dash dash help option. And you'll see there's lots of commands for working with VMs from the command line, all sorts of things. Uh, we can create new VMs, we can list VMs, delete, stop, restart, start VMs, deallocate VMs, all, all kinds of things. Um, and in fact, if we um, just run an Azure VM list um, by itself, what we'll see is first it, uh, it'll prompt us for any mandatory parameters that we may not have specified. In this case, I don't have any additional parameters. And it'll come back with a list of our various resource groups and the, the VMs inside that. Um, so pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, oftentimes, when we're getting started with VMs, creating new VMs is a very common request for the Azure C getting started with the Azure CLI, and 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 certainly creating a new VM has lots of different properties that we need to specify from, you know, where we want to create it to the VM name to admin credentials to image uh, the, the base image we want to use. Um, so the command line can be a little lengthier than some of the other command lines we've looked at. But um, if we wanted to get some help on that, we can we can just use Azure VM Create and very similar to what we did before, use the, the help option. And you'll see that it does a, a very uh, detailed listing of, of all of those parameters and the various ones that we would need to specify. So if we were just getting started and we wanted to create a base VM using some of these parameters, we could say Azure VM Create. And then like our network and, and storage resources that we created earlier, we would need to specify a resource group that we wish to create the, this new virtual machine inside. So we'll specify that resource group that we've previously been working with in our prior episodes. And we also need to specify an Azure data center region location. So I'm just going to specify Southeast Asia as our data center region that we wish to have this new VM provisioned in. And then I need to specify a few of the properties of that VM. So things like the, the operating system type that I wish to use. So we could have it be Linux or Windows-based VMs. I'll specify Linux. And the, uh, the image, the base operating system image that we want to use for, for building this VM. And I'll say I want to use um, maybe the latest Ubuntu image. So I'm going to say Ubuntu LTS. And that'll just be a, a, that's just a, a shortcut for me to pull out the latest version of the latest LTS Ubuntu server OS image so that I don't have to worry about specifying the particular version number if I always want to use the, the latest and greatest. Um, I'll need to specify some base credential information like a, an admin username and either an admin password or an SSH key that I wish to use for authenticating as that user. So just to make things easy, I'll specify an admin password. Um, I need one more dash there. Um, admin password, and I'll use a creative password here uh, that's relatively uh, relatively secure to satisfy our needs. Uh, we need to specify a VM size. 
So remember, we looked at all those various VM sizes, D series, DS series, G, GS series, and whatnot. So I'll say I'm just going to use a standard DS1 VM size. So I have a single core VM with SSD persistent storage available. Um, and now I need to specify a little bit of the networking properties that I wish to use for this new VM. So because this is a VM that I'm spinning up, I'll want to create a network interface card for this VM automatically. And so I can use the nickname property to specify a, um, uh, a nickname for the VM. So we'll say Contoso VM02 Nick. Um, I also need to specify an overall name for the VM. I think I, uh, that, it'll, that it'll be using on the network. So Contoso VM02 is my overall VM name. Um, I need to specify if I want to have a public IP um, associated with this VM so that I can hit it from outside on the internet. I'll need to specify that public IP. Let me just add in a few more of my dashes here to make sure I've got my parameters right. And so I'll say uh, I'm going to create a new public IP address for this VM. Uh, we'll use the VM name followed by dash IP as the name of that public IP address. And I'll also want to, for this public IP address, specify a public IP um, domain name as well that I can use as a friendly name for accessing this VM via its via its public IP address. So let's say Contoso VM02 is going to be my public domain name as well as my public DNS host name as well as my internal host name for the VM. And then we just need to specify a, a VNet for it to be attached to. So I need a VNet name. Um, and let's see, our VNet name that we were using in our prior episodes was Contoso VNet01. And then on that VNet, a VNet subnet name that I wish to have this VM's NIC attached to because I could have multiple subnets on that, uh, on that VNet. So assuming that I've got everything specified correctly, let me just do one quick more scan here. Uh, things look good so far, and oh, I think I see a missing dash. So there we go, and I'll go ahead and press enter. Oh, and let's see, public IP, actually, it's public IP name. Uh, da, 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 da. So I was complaining about that parameter. So. It's really, really nice that uh, Azure CLI does a kind of a pre-flight check of all of your options and parameters and warns you about unknown option names or mistyped names or things of that nature uh, to help ensure success. But you can see now it's going through the process of creating that VM using the size I've specified. It uh, couldn't find a storage account that I've specified, so it's going to go ahead and generate a storage account dynamically for me for the VM's disks. And then once it goes through the process of generating the storage account, it'll create a NIC create a uh, public IP for the NIC and a domain name, and then ultimately create the VM from the image I specified and attach it to the VNet. And Keith, while this is all going, I think it's, uh, it would be good if you were able to show uh, the viewers also like uh, how to look up those locations and like the OS types that they can search through and the uh, image names, because there are ways definitely of doing that through the command line and also online. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, and uh, just just took, it took a couple minutes, and our VM has been fully provisioned now. And certainly, if we rerun the Azure VM list command, we should see that new virtual machine 
along with all of its other resources kind of behind the scenes that support that virtual machine. But the VM, Intoso VM02, is now up and running in our Southeast Asia data center region. And, and Gerald, when we were going through the command line syntax, um, you had... You had pointed out a couple of great pieces, you know, things that I was using as some, some of the property names, like the image name, Ubuntu LTS, and the VM size name. Um, in this case, we were using a standard DS1 VM size. And even the data center region name, um, as, as people get started off, they, they may want to figure out where, where they can go to, to look up those various parameter values and see the other options that are available. And so if we go back to Azure VM dash dash help, uh, again, we'll see some of that. We have we have uh, some commands that are related to VM images. Uh, we'll talk about those in just a second and go through those. And then as we scroll up our list a little bit here, we've also got VM sizes. Uh, so if we do an Azure VM sizes, uh, we can get all of the available virtual machine sizes. And then um, the VM option itself also gives us some um, information for when we're creating a VM for specifying the image from a, a shortcut name standpoint. And so if we do um, say Azure VM create dash dash help again. Um, the command that we were looking at a little earlier. And if I scroll up just a little bit in the help output, there's there's lots of options here, but uh, up to that image URN parameter, you'll see there's some aliases. If I'm interested in just picking up the latest version of a particular common distro uh, of either Windows or, or Linux-based distros, I can use these aliases, like I used Ubuntu LTS, and it'll automatically pick up the latest version of a canonical Ubuntu Server 14.04 LTS distro. Um, so that way, as that image is updated with uh, new new packages and whatnot and republished, I don't have to worry about specifying a particular version number. So that's what I did. But you'll see that you can also specify a specific uh, publisher name, offer name, SKU, and version number using this format, publisher name, offer SKUs, version separated by colons. And so for that, you need to be able to look up the publisher name, offer SKUs, and version. Um, in, in addition, you can also specify your own custom image that you may have uploaded to Azure Blob Storage as a uh, URL and just point the, to, the, to the VHD that you've uploaded into a, into a Blob Storage account. Um, so let's look at ways that we can use to, to, up to, to, to verify what those various images are. And so from an Azure VM image standpoint, just a few minutes ago, we looked at the Azure VM help commands and we saw there was a number of different image commands. And we've got ones for listing each of those components in the image name format. So if we wanted to see a list of publishers, a list of offers, a list of SKUs, or everything, including the version number, um, we can use these various Azure image list commands. And, and so in my case, I, we already know a little bit of the information. We're using Ubuntu server, so we know uh, Canonical is the, um, uh, the, the publisher of Ubuntu server and the offer name was Ubuntu server. So if we if we didn't know that information, we could certainly just kind of step through this and say, hey, I want to list the Azure VM list publishers and, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Azure Im, uh, VM image list publishers. And that'll come back executing that command and like we were talking about a little earlier, there's a required parameter on the command for location. And so since I didn't specify a location on my command line, it's just prompting me for that required parameter. And now it's going to get a list of all of the publishers 
that are have at least one image published in this data center region. And so if we scroll up our list, as you can see a pretty long list of all different kinds of publishers. Um, as we scroll up this list, we'll see Canonical in the list, right up at the top here. And then if we wanted to see uh, a list of offers from Canonical, we could say Azure VM image list offers and specify the location on our command line, or could be prompted for that, and then specify that the publisher that we want to see the various image offers from being canonical, for instance. And you'll see there's uh, six different offers that canonical currently has and in that particular data center region. And then if we went through the process of specifying a particular list of SKUs, we could do, you know, similarly, instead of listing the offers, we could say list the SKUs. And then specify one of the offer names if we wanted to use an alternative offer. So let's say uh, Ubuntu server. That was the offer we were using with our shortcut. And it should come back with a list of the various SKUs. So here's the 1404, 1410, 1510, 1604, 1204, different SKUs that are available. And then if we wanted to see all of that information along with the path to each of the images, we could tell it to do a list offers. And when we press enter there, list offers. Sorry, list list SKUs. Rather, we did list offers earlier. So it comes back with all of our various versions. Now, if we wanted to be able to leverage that within a larger script, maybe we want to strip out just some pieces of a particular image uh, or the image path or whatnot, um, we could use our parameter for outputting in JSON, just like we looked at in our storage and networking section, and then pipe that over to um, a tool like JQ to be able to parse it as JSON output. And then inside JQ, we can say, take the, the list of, of elements that are returned back, and out of that, select only the elements that have a, um, uh, maybe a name property equal to a particular version. So maybe instead of 1404, we want to use uh, 1604 LTS instead, the, the, that particular, that particular uh, version of the LTS distribution. So we can just specify that in here, close that off, and what we should get back is now just the information of that particular version. So we see the offer, the publisher, the location, the name of it, and then an ID that points to that particular image that we could then pass these values into an Azure VM create command and be able to specify that as an alternative image for, for creating our, uh, our, our, our virtual machines from. Does, does, that, does that make sense, Gerald, from, from that standpoint of different ways of selecting an image? Yep, definitely. And this definitely also starts helping show users how to kind of open up um, and see how they would script some of this stuff. So if you were to want to do this in um, PowerShell or if you want to do it in Python, you would do a lot of the same things with our, you know, Python uh, APIs or PowerShell CLI. 
and you can essentially create these same things and create a more uh, open and agile like uh, uh, deployment model for your tools. Yep, yep, definitely, definitely. One of the other options that we saw parameter values for was the VM sizes. And so if we do an Azure VM sizes dash dash help command, we'll see the output that that offers to get the available VM sizes uh, that are present in a particular Azure data center region. So if I say Azure VM sizes location, and then specify, again, we'll use Southeast Asia as our location. VM sizes, there we go. That will come back with a list of all of the VM sizes that are available, along with some properties of those VM sizes. So it becomes a convenient list for being able to see the standard sizes, the number of CPU cores, the amount of memory, the maximum number of data disks, the max data disk size, uh, based on attaching the maximum number of data disks, and then the maximum OS disk size. Um, so these are the standard names for each of those VM sizes that are available. And in the list, you'll see that uh, since we started recording our, our last episode, there's actually some, some new sizes in the list that were recently uh, made generally available, our F-series sizes that are uh, compute-optimized, kind of high-compute, low-memory density sizes for uh, compute workloads that may need fast processing but, uh, but may not require much memory, uh, or, or at least not as much as the D-series and DS-series and G-series that have a, a similar number of cores. And it should also just be known that it's important for uh, users to go and look at this sizing per region that they're selecting because there is variation between regions uh, for what is uh, available. For the most part, a lot of the uh, images are available through all regions, but there is definitely some, um, some differences. Yep, definitely, definitely. And, um, and then the last piece that we wanted to go through was actually figuring out the um, list of locations, right, that are available from a data center region standpoint. And you'll see that because location is a common parameter for provisioning pretty much any resources in Azure, rather than being under the VM command, it's off the root Azure command. So we can do Azure space location. And again, if we do help, it'll come back with our help information. And uh, basically, it's just Azure location list, and then no additional options. So it becomes really easy to figure out if you forget the name of any of the Azure locations. Um, there's the names that are associated with each of them. And you'll see our Canadian locations and India locations recently came online to add to our, uh, our list of locations that are available. So it's a nice, easy way of being able to cross-reference anytime we add new data center regions to the mix, what the, the names of those data center regions are. And so, Gerald, we went through some of the basic steps together of provisioning individual VMs. And certainly, you could provision and manage individual VMs on a VM-by-VM -VM basis. But in our talk a little bit earlier, we were also talking about some of the ways we can manage VMs as a group using VM scale sets uh, as a, a group of related VMs that we can scale out or scale in, or managing a container infrastructure for Docker containers on top of a scale set of VMs. Do you think it makes sense to spend just a little bit of time walking through, walking through some of that as well? 
Definitely. I think uh, users would probably be using those quite a bit, especially the scale sets and the darker ones that have recently come out. Um, one of the things I wanted to point out, too, for those watching is that you've been using um, all of the CLI in ARM mode, which is the uh, Azure Resource Management mode. Uh, there are two different ways of um, using the CLI. One is the older way of ASM, and this is the newer way of ARM. So a lot of users often do get confused uh, when they are running in one and not the other, and they're wondering why the the CLI doesn't look the same or why they can't find certain things. So um, it might be good just to show users real quick before we move on, like uh, how to switch back and forth between the two modes. Oh yeah, that's a great that's a great suggestion. Yeah. Um, so you're absolutely right. I'm running in our mode, and you'll see that several of the commands when I when I run a help option, for instance, it'll actually echo back the current mode that you're in. Um, either ASM, Azure Service Management, which is the older classic mode, or the new mode that we're really recommending going forward for all new deployments, which is Azure Resource Management, or ARM. And so you can see I'm currently in ARM mode, but if you came up and did a, maybe an Azure help command and said that your current mode was ASM, for instance, the command that you use to switch between modes is an Azure config command. And you can just say Azure config mode ARM to switch into ARM mode or Azure config mode ASM to switch back into the, the classic mode. And so I want to be in ARM, so I'll switch back into ARM again. So it's just that easy to make sure that you're, that you're running in the, in the correct mode. Um, once you switch over to a particular config mode, it does, uh, my experience been it does remember that going forward for future sessions as your, your default then, but, um, but it's always good to, to be able to double check. Okay, so we're in our mode. Uh, we've been working through building out individual VMs. Let's talk about building out scale sets. Remember, scale sets are a group of related VMs, oftentimes used for a tier of our application, like a web tier, for instance, that we want to scale out or scale in more elastically. And um, because we're, when we're using scale sets, because we're letting Azure manage the individual VM instances for us in terms of provisioning and managing those, rather than managing scale sets through the Azure VM command, we use Azure VMSS as our command for managing VM scale sets from a scale set standpoint. And so if I run Azure VMSS with the dash help command, you'll see there's, again, a large number of parameters for configuring different aspects of scale sets for creating new scale sets and whatnot. Um, but we can, uh, we can certainly step through the process of being able to quickly create a scale set. And I'll just show the quick create option that allows you to create a scale set really quickly, get it up and running with a, as a number, of, a number of VMs. And then certainly everyone can explore these options inside your own Azure subscription after, after today's show. So I'm going to do an Azure VMSS, and I'll specify quick create as my option. And under Quick Create, I've got a few common parameters, like the ones we were using before. I have to specify a resource group and a location. And so now we know where to get all those properties from. So uh, we, we know where the location list is. And then um, in addition, I'll need to specify a name for my, for my uh, scale set. So I'll call this, let's see, Contosa VMSS 02, we'll say. Um, I currently have an 01. And then we'll need to specify, just like we did when we had an 
Im, uh, an individual VM that we were configuring, we needed to specify an image. And so for our image, we can either specify one of those shortcuts or the full publisher uh, offer SKU uh, version information um, that we saw that we could look up using Azure VM image. And uh, we also need to specify a username, just like we did before, and a password or a uh, SSH key. I'll use a password just to make it easy for provisioning here. It should work. Um, and then VM size, just like we did before for an individual VM. So we'll say standard DS1 again. Um, and then a capacity. Now this is new. The capacity says how many instances of a VM do we wish to provision inside this scale set. So we could key in five, we can go up to 20, 50, 100, uh, or whatnot. And then if I press enter, it's, uh, oops, gonna come back and tell me that, hey, it doesn't know about resource group. And that's because this particular command actually has resource group name as its parameter name. So there we go. And so now it's spinning up that new VM scale set. And once it's uh, spun up, uh, we'll be able to manage it as a group of VMs, and we'll see, it's looking up to see, does it have a, a NIC already that the scale set can use? It doesn't, so it's creating one. It's creating a scalable NIC that can be used as a way of auto-provisioning and managing the NICs of each underlying VM instance. It's also building a VNet and a subnet for me in this using this quick create option because it doesn't see one that exists that it can use for the scale set. And then once it gets through those steps, it'll provision out storage accounts to manage distribution of the VM disks across a number of storage accounts. And then the individual instances that are part of the scale set will be spun up as the, as the last step. Okay, and so Gerald, our VM scale set's been provisioned, and the output that it comes back with is actually the, the JSON output for the configuration of that VM scale set. So we can see the name, and that it's a VM scale set resource type instead of an individual set of VMs. Uh, we see our, our, our instance size and capacity, so five VM instances. Um, upgrade policy, manual or automatic. Um, the computer naming prefix that gets iterated through for giving each of the instances a unique name, our image information, and then here's the various storage accounts that it creates. It creates a pool of basically five storage accounts to span those VM instances, spread those VM instances across so that uh, all the VM instances aren't having their disks in a common storage account to balance for performance and availability and, and whatnot. And then the network profile, so it creates a single scalable NIC definition that it then uses to uh, build out connectivity to each of those VM instances. And so now that we've got the VM scale set created, if we do an Azure VM scale set list command, it will ask us for our resource group. So I'll need you to just key that in, Contoso RG. And it'll come back and list out our VM scale set resources. So here's the one we just created. There's one that I had a little earlier. And if we wanted to see the individual instances inside that VM scale set, um, there's actually a, another um, uh, command option as the second second parameter for the Azure command, uh, VMSS VM. So VMSS is used when you're trying to manage the scale set as a whole. 
But if you want to kind of peek down into the individual VM instances that the VM scale set has provisioned, you can use VMSSVM as the command option. And so if we do a VMSSVM list command and specify our resource group, so Contoso RG, and then um, the name of our particular VM scale set. So in this case, we'll pick the one that we just created, VMSS02. It will come back and show us, uh, hopefully, the five VM, there we go, five VM instances that it uh, auto-generated for us. And then if we wanted to manage the scale set and be able to scale it out to a larger number of instances or, um, or, or whatnot, we can use our Azure VMSS uh, command. We'll just pull up the help parameters again, because on that command, you'll see that we've got the scale options for being able to scale the virtual machine, uh, the virtual machine scale set to a new capacity value. We also have the ability to uh, upgrade our virtual machine instances to a later image using update instances, and then we can we can do things like shut down, uh, power off, start, restart our entire VM scale set as a whole, rather than having to worry about iterating through a number of, of VM instances. Um, so it's got quite a, quite a few different commands that we can use for being able to manage the VM scale set as a whole to gain better control around a pool of VMs rather than managing them as a uh, individual set of discrete VMs. And I guess the last option that we had talked about was uh, the Azure Container Service for being able to very quickly spin up a Docker container infrastructure that we can then push Docker containers into. I know Docker is really, really popular in the open source world. I get lots of questions on Docker support on Azure all the time. Do you do you get that as well, Gerald? Is that something that you're seeing uh, increasing? Yeah, definitely more and more. Uh, Docker has been the uh, way for people to create a lot of like these microservices architectures uh, in Azure. Yeah, definitely. And, and so from the Azure command line tool, we've got an ACS um, option that is for Azure Container Services that we can use for creating and managing, provisioning and managing Azure Container Services, uh, Docker, Docker, uh, Docker Container uh, uh, hosts or clusters. And you'll see that under Azure ACS, we've got options for creating. Uh, container service cluster, uh, deleting, showing, listing, changing the configuration. Um, and of course, for any of these commands, we can also do them right from within the Azure portal as well. So actually for this last area of our demo, I'm just going to switch back over to our Azure portal and show creating a new Azure container uh, cluster, uh, just going out to create new containers. And then under containers, you'll see Azure container service just to show everybody how, how easy that really is. And I'm just gonna click on the Create button, and under my basics, I'll specify our username and our SSH public key that we want to use for authenticating to the individual container hosts and, and, uh, and, and uh, management hosts within our cluster. And actually, let's see, for the SSH public key, I'm just going to bring up uh, PuttyGen and pull in our SSH key from there. Uh, let's see, I've got a key that, there we go, that I can just copy and paste right in. And let's see, I'll specify a new resource group for this. So we'll say this is ACS, uh, we'll say O2 resource group and use the same data center location we've been using all along in Southeast Asia. 
And then it'll ask us for the framework that we want to use for orchestrating the Docker, uh, the Docker container cluster. And so we've got Docker Swarm cluster management, and we've also got uh, Mesos uh, DCOS as well. So I'll just pick Swarm. Uh, you can pick either. And then on the, the next tab, it'll ask us a little bit of information on the next blade around how many Docker hosts we want in our container cluster. And so we'll say, how about five hosts? And then a virtual machine size for each of those Docker hosts. And then the master count is for the management hosts within our cluster. And so if it's a dev test cluster, we can have just one. But if we want high availability, we can have multiple masters that replicate the configuration across themselves. Uh, so if one master becomes unavailable, the others are still there. So I'll say three uh, masters is what I want. And then we'll specify a DNS prefix that we'll use for this container service. So I'll say Contoso ACSO2, and then it'll use that as the prefix name for any of the resources behind the scenes that get auto-generated. Click OK, and you'll see with just a few pieces of property information, uh, we're going to go ahead and click OK and build out an entire uh, Docker Swarm infrastructure. And the cool thing about this is that um, after the fact that everything's provisioned, what you're left with is a uh, an open source uh, swarm or Mesos environment that uh, gives you full access to be able to go in and customize with any of your own tools that you're using for Docker management. So unlike some of the other competing platforms where their container services are sort of a black box that's closed off to you after provisioning, here, because we see so much movement and uh, so, so much innovation in the container space, we're providing Azure Container Service as a way to quickly get up and running but then give you the flexibility to be able to go in and, and customize that environment with your with your own tooling or APIs that you're building to integrate with your applications. Um, does that, does that, do you think that makes sense for, for everybody, Gerald, from a uh, container standpoint? Yeah, I think so. It's a good start point for everyone to work on it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and certainly if you want to go beyond uh, this environment and look at building out your own environment piece by piece. You can certainly do that as well, but ACS is a, a great way to be able to spin up a, an entire container cluster and literally, like we're seeing here, just a few minutes without having to go through the process that can be very complex of yeah. building and loading and configuring VM by VM by VM to build out a, a container cluster environment. Okay, well, we've done quite a bit in walking through configuring compute on Azure to help everybody get started. And um, I just wanted to call out that for, for those of us, those of you out there that have been watching along through the various episodes, uh, one great resource that you can go to to continue your learning is our Learning Path site out on Azure.com. And we'll include the Learning Path link at the bottom of the page that you're watching today's episode on. Uh, this Learning Path site gives structured, step-by-step -step, uh, guidance and tutorials and whatnot for each of the main Azure services. And so as we scroll down here, uh, we've been spending a lot of time with uh, virtual machines and other related compute resources. So if we go to the virtual machines learning path, you'll see it, it steps through um, all of the base getting started information around virtual machines. Um, and then it goes through the process of scripting out creation of virtual machines, uh, using templates to create virtual machines, and then goes through the process of specifying additional advanced configurations in terms of specific workloads, additional management steps, uh, troubleshooting, network connectivity, and whatnot. So I'd encourage you to certainly check it out. 
Well, Gerald, what do you say? Does it make sense to head back to the office and close up today's episode? Yep, sounds good to me. Okay, I'll see you back there. So, Gerald, today we walked through a variety of different compute options for customers and partners to explore as they're moving workloads or building workloads on the Azure platform. We looked at being able to provision just based for IaaS virtual machines. We looked a little bit at being able to leverage VM extensions to inject additional provisioning logic or configuration management or extended tools into a, a base set of VM images at provisioning time. And then we talked about some other options that bring us a little further towards platform as a service around VM scale sets for being able to begin thinking about ways that we can manage groups of stateless VMs as a unit of cattle for tiers of our application that we can scale out or scale in on schedule or dynamically using auto scale rules. And we also looked at uh, some of the container support. And as part of the container support, we also uh, explored Azure Container Service, our new managed offering around building out uh, Docker clusters using Swarm or Mesos uh, very, very quickly to, to get your infrastructure up and running. What do you think? Does that give everyone enough to, to chew on for today as they look at uh, ways of moving their compute workloads over to Azure? I think so. I think if uh, their heads aren't blown so far, that should be. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of options, right? And, and yep. uh, for those of you that are watching today's episode, be sure to check out the additional resources down at the bottom of the page where we've got our step-by-step -step learning paths for getting up to speed on ISVMs and some great information on VM scale sets and Azure Container Service as well. Well, Gerald, thanks so much for joining us again today. Thanks for having me, Keith. Sure thing. Pleasure as always. And thank you, everyone, for joining us again for our Microsoft Azure for Amazon AWS Cloud Professionals uh, continuing series. And look forward to having you back for our next episode in the series. Take care, everyone. Have a great rest of your day.